Well, good morning, Valley Free Church. Good morning to everyone who is listening online today. And, and uh, we are, it's a beautiful morning here as we, as we record this. And, and uh, it's the day of Pentecost, Sunday, May 31st. And it's the day that we celebrate the giving of the Holy Spirit. And that's, <clears throat> that's what we want to concentrate on today. And next week, we're going to take chapter two of Acts apart and look at the significance of Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And I can't think of any more appropriate time than this to celebrate the Holy Spirit and the fact that Jesus Christ has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to give us hope, uh, to, to remind us of Jesus, to remind us of his peace <clears throat> and his, his truth these days, these days of uncertainty, these days of even violence in our city. And uh, I appreciate the thoughts that Megan shared a while ago. And uh, we, we as a church, we need to be peacemakers. We need to be those. That, uh, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church that we are called with this gospel message, we are called to be uh, to a ministry of reconciliation. And so that's who we're called to be as a church. And that is done under the power of the Holy Spirit to be peacemakers in the world and uh, to be those who bring reconciliation. So I'm not sure what that means, but today as we, as we hear about protests going on even in our, our fair little town of Chaska, Minnesota, and uh, as, we, as we consider all the, the news in uh, Minneapolis church, we're called to be reconcilers. We're called to be peacemakers. We're called to take this message of peace and justice out into the world. And so I pray that whatever your context is, that uh, that would be your story, your message, your truth today. Uh, let's, let's pray as we dive into God's word in Acts chapter 2. Lord Jesus, we, we, we come to you this, this beautiful morning and uh, we, we, need to, we need to come to you for your peace, for your assurance in a world that is uncertain, in a world that doesn't know peace, a world that doesn't know justice. We come to you because you are all of, all of those things in righteousness, of justice and peace and comfort love and grace, second chances, life, you are all of those things. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning and we, we put our lives before you again in faith, knowing that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, the world around us is spinning out of control and we need a fresh word from you. We need your spirit to lead us, to guide us. And so as we, as we come to Acts chapter 2, as we think about the day of Pentecost and that original giving of the Spirit and the birth of the church, Lord Jesus, we, we desire to get inside of that truth this morning. So by your Holy Spirit, would you enlighten our, our minds and our thoughts? Would you quicken our hearts, Lord Jesus, to see you, to hear you, and to obey you this morning? In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me read from Acts chapter 2 this morning as we begin. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arab Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. And we'll stop there for the time being. We love the story of Pentecost. We love the story of the Holy Spirit being given to the disciples as they waited in the upper room. We love hearing the sound of the mighty wind and the picture of, of flaming tongues descending upon the, uh, uh, the disciples in the, in, as the Holy Spirit was given to them. I especially like the, the image of Peter standing up in, in the streets and in the temple, standing up with courage, with power, with, with knowledge to preach the gospel for the first time since the resurrection of Christ. And who doesn't like the picture of, a thousand, of thousands of people coming to know Christ that day, the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out in multitudes. Scripture says 3,000 people responded to the gospel that day. It's an amazing story. It's a story that we long to see replicated in our own lives, in our day, much more so even today. We long to see the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and among us in, in vivid and powerful ways. And we do. We see a life turned over to Christ. That's the Spirit at work. Whenever we see a life transformed or turned away from sin and to the grace of God, that's the Holy Spirit at work. Whenever you read or study God's word and it, and it jumps off the page, a light goes on in your, in your mind and your heart that you've never seen before, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When you gather for worship and you are moved by the music, when you're moved by the testimony or the word of God preached, proclaimed, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And whenever relationships are reconciled and strengthened, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's probably the specialty of the Holy Spirit. I spoke with a friend this week who said that he and his wife had, had been at odds with a, another person in the church. Their relationship had grown cold and was even a, somewhat antagonistic. Yet through a variety of influences, the relationship was turning around and reconciliation was occurring. Warmth in their relationship was being restored. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we, we long to live in the flow and, and the power of God's Holy Spirit. At the same time, we often feel like we're, we're far from the center of that picture, that power, that assurance that comes from the Holy Spirit. Life, even life in the church, can seem programmatic. It can seem routine. It can seem like it's lacking a, a spark or, or the power or, or life. There are probably many days when, when we have to agree with A.W. Tozer who said this, 
if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what would go on would, would disappear and no one would know the difference. And on the other hand, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, this, the Book of Acts church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference if the Holy Spirit was missing. You see, the topic of the Holy Spirit can be a source of disagreement and even division in the church and among believers, which is, which is ironic because the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us unity. He's the protector of our unity. He's the one who gives us confidence and knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ. So to have division is, is contrary to the Holy Spirit. And personally, I've wrestled with, with the doctrine and the practice of the Holy Spirit over the, over the years of my, my walk with Christ. Some Pentecostal friends and, 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 and churches have emphasized the Spirit in such ways that it distorts the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and even creates a false gospel at times that is, that is so overemphasizing the Holy Spirit. But by the same token, I think that we as evangelicals often miss the big picture of the Holy Spirit and we tend to minimize the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Yes, we give lip service to it, but I, I wonder if, if we don't miss some of the role and the power of the Spirit. We don't seem to comprehend or give room for the work of the Spirit in our lives. And the bottom line is that we just don't comprehend the gift that Jesus Christ has given to us in the Holy Spirit. So today and next Sunday, I would like to concentrate on the giving of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And today, May 31st, is the day of Pentecost on the church calendar. It's a perfect time to, to, to put the concerns of our day and the foundations of our faith firmly in the hands and the care of the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us as a gift. And as we've talked about First Peter, Chapter 1, over the last few weeks, we see that Peter himself, who's, who's the key player in Acts chapter 2, Peter himself said that the Spirit is given to lead us into the living hope of Jesus Christ, the living hope that's promised by Jesus Christ. You see, we need the Spirit now more than ever. So let's, let's celebrate Pentecost, and let's celebrate that gift of the Spirit. So the first I, the first aspect of, of the day of Pentecost that I'd like to approach is, is the anticipation that goes into this day. You see, the story of Acts chapter 2 simply begins with, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. It's a rather simple start to the story, to the narrative. And as you can imagine, there's, there's a lot of background here that goes into uh, this story, and, and it helps us to appreciate everything that's about to happen in Acts chapter 2. Understanding the Holy Spirit and the significance of Pentecost is helped by seeing his place, the, the Spirit's place in salvation history. So the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, first appears in the account of creation. Let's, let's just go back to the Old Testament. In the, in, the, in the second verse of the Bible, Genesis 1 verse 2, he's mentioned. Moses writes, in the account of creation, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is at work. The Spirit called Abraham to move toward the promised land. 
The Spirit was there when Moses confronted Pharaoh. The Spirit was there when Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and other prophets declared the will and the word of the Lord. The Spirit prompted the prophet Nathan to challenge the sin of King David. And in his repentance, King David begged that the Holy Spirit would not be removed from him. The Spirit was moving when Joseph and Daniel interpreted the kings, uh, the dreams of the kings and declared the presence of God. And on that day of Pentecost, Peter and his disciples moved out into the street and in the temple courts. And it was there that Peter began to give the first sermon of the church. And so I asked the question, as we anticipate this day of Pentecost, how did he start his sermon? He emphasized the role of the Spirit in the Old Testament by giving the word of the prophet Joel. Look at this. Let me read, starting at verse 16. But Peter, this is how he began his sermon. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall, shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. <clears throat> first thing Peter does is he turns to the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, which was the scripture for them then, as it is today, and he said the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And the prophet Ezekiel, he, he added to this promise, he, he, he supplemented this promise by saying in his, his book, book of Ezekiel, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put in them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. You see, the Jewish audience of that day were, was quite aware of God's promise to pour out his spirit on his people one day. In the Old Testament, the spirit was given at times. The spirit led at times, but the spirit did not indwell the prophets or the people. And the Spirit was, was just for the prophets, just those who were called to lead God's people. It wasn't for everyone. But they were aware of the promise that one day, as Joel said, God would pour out his Spirit on all flesh. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were quite aware that God had this in his plan, that it was a promise of God and it would come. And, and they longed to see the day when God would move in such a powerful way. Now another, another important aspect of the day of Pentecost is that this is a Jewish feast. Pentecost is one of the feasts. And I would love to go into all the feasts and, and talk about the significance of each of them and how each of the feasts are, 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 <clears throat> are forerunners, they're, they're, they're foretellings of the role of Christ and the, and the plan of God in the, in the last days. Uh, for example, the, uh, 
Pentecost follows the feast of Passover, which, which represents the crucifixion of Christ, the death of Christ, and then that's followed by the feast of unleavened bread, which, which represents the burial of Jesus Christ, the tomb of Jesus Christ. And then there's the first fruits, the feast of first fruits, and that represents the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul calls Jesus often first fruit, referring to that festival. And on top of that, then comes Pentecost. And that comes 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. And as a, as a Jewish feast, Pentecost represents the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And so when, when, when people gather together for the Feast of Pentecost as a Jew, you're thinking that's the day that God gave the law on Mount Sinai to Moses. So that's what we mark today. That's what we celebrate. And in attention to that, Day of Pentecost also, the Feast of Pentecost also represents the birth of the Jewish nation. Again, at Mount Sinai, when God gave the law and he said, you will be my people. That's the birthday of the Jewish nation. And for us as believers today, for Peter and the disciples and, and all the 120 gathered and all those who called on the name of Jesus, that day, the day of Pentecost represents the giving of the Holy Spirit. That's the day when God chose to pour out his Spirit. And that is also the birthday of the church. That's the birth of the church, the day of Pentecost. This, this day is significant. God never misses a beat. God doesn't miss anything. Everything is down to the minute, down to the day when God fulfills his purposes. And when the day of Pentecost came, the day they following the first fruits, God would bring all of his people and he would give a picture of what it's like that his spirit would move and people would come to Jesus the day of Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost. And so this feast explains the multitude of people in Jerusalem on that day. You see, that was the audience had a great sense of anticipation for the coming of the Spirit. They didn't know it would be that day, and, but, and Peter had to explain it to them. But it must have stirred in their hearts this sense of presence and the power of God that day. And as Peter preached in the power of the Spirit, he, he proclaimed in so many words, this is it. This is the day. This is the event. This is what their hearts had longed for. This is what God had promised to them and that their hearts, their hearts were stirred for. For generations they longed for this. And Peter stood up <clears throat> and in his sermon that day, that powerful sermon proclaiming Jesus Christ, it's as if he was saying to them, this is it. This is the day. This is the coming of the Spirit. So that was the anticipation of Pentecost. So we move to point number two, and, and that's the preparation of Pentecost. What, what went into the actual preparing of that day? In Acts chapter 1, we see the disciples speaking with the resurrected Jesus just before he ascended up into heaven. And in verse, in verse 4, Jesus Jesus tells them, verse 4 says this in Acts chapter 1, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You see, Jesus ordered them to stay into Jerusalem and, and to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And then verse 5, as we read, Jesus goes on to explain that they would, they would, the promise of God that would be given to them is that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
So after the, after the Feast of, of First Fruits, there are, there's a 50-day waiting period, and then comes the day of Pentecost. For 40 days, they were with Jesus. And so for 10 days now, <clears throat> after the ascension of Jesus, what did they do? They all went back to the upper room, and they waited. Yes, they, they organized themselves, and they replaced the, the betrayal, the, the betrayer, Judas, with Matthias, and they, they filled out their number again for, for 12 disciples. They went through that process of organizing themselves and, and correcting what had happened. But for 10 days, and I want you to get this, for 10 days, they prayed and they sought the Lord. Knowing that the gift of the Holy Spirit was about to come to them, I'm guessing that they must have prayed fervently for the gift and for the power that would come from it. They must have been filled with anticipation, with, with recalling the teaching of Jesus on the Holy Spirit. Jesus even said to the disciples, it's better that I leave you so that the Holy Spirit can come to you, so that the Holy Spirit's power can rest on you. Jesus even said that. That must have been playing over and over again in their minds. <coughs> this particular feast of Pentecost was, was unlike any feast that they had ever participated in before. The anticipation of what God had promised and was about to fulfill must have created an atmosphere of praise and urgency and so I asked myself, how did they prepare? And listen to this. Three things. First of all, it strikes me that, that they obeyed. They, they simply did what Jesus told them to do. Peter would write uh, later on in his life, he would write his first letter, which we've been studying the last few weeks. He says this, purify yourselves by obedience to the truth. Peter understood what it meant to obey Jesus. Seeing and speaking with the risen Christ for those 40 days had to have given them the desire and the courage to follow him. Unlike any other time of, in, during the three years of Jesus' ministry, unlike any other time when they might have been confused or they asked questions that were, and Jesus had to keep correcting them and moving them in towards, towards spiritual things, now now they had the obedience and the courage to follow after him. They prepared for the Spirit to work. The disciples needed to do what Jesus called them to do. They needed to obey, and they did. The second thing that I observe in this passage is that they prayed. I'm trying to imagine that prayer meeting. All day and all night, there must have been someone who was praying. Knowing what they knew, their prayers must have been bold. Their prayers must have been loud. Their, must have, their prayers must have been full of assurance. Oswald Chambers said it like this. If we rely on the Holy Spirit, we will find that our prayers, listen to this, we'll find that our prayers become more and more inarticulate. And when they are inarticulate, reverence grows deeper and deeper. You see, their prayers must have been simply a pouring out of their hearts before God. No pretense, no arrogance, no formulaic prayers. 
No one worried about praying in public, which, which so many of us have a, a struggle with. I'll bet you nobody in that room for those 10 days among the 120 people, none of them worried about praying in public. Just hearts laid bare with, with humility, with dependency, and with urgency. I'm confident that their prayers and their discussions were laced with God's word, both spoken and read. You see, God's word, prayer, and the Holy Spirit, they all belong in the same sentence together. So they obeyed and they prayed. And the third thing is that they waited. I don't want you to miss this. It's true that they took time to get themselves organized, that they took time to, to, to replenish the 12 disciples with, by replacing Judas. They took time to get their house in order. They took time to organize and, and prepare for the blessing. They did all that they needed to do to be ready. But brothers and sisters, don't miss this. They waited. They waited. You see, they didn't busy themselves with all kinds of ancillary activities. They prayed with, I'm guessing, with, with unity. They, it, Acts chapter 1 tells us that. They prayed with one accord. They prayed in unity. They prayed with one voice. And they waited for God to move. The context seems to indicate that they waited with urgency and patience all at the same time. Against all human nature to do something, to be busy with something, they waited. And then there's the point number three, that they moved on to the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And Pentecost. And this is the part that gets us so excited because then it happened. They waited for 10 days and then it happened. Luke described it as the sound of. It wasn't necessarily a mighty wind, but it sounded like a mighty wind rushing through their gathering. And then they saw, you see, they, they heard and they saw, they saw what looked like tons of flaming fire coming to rest on each of the disciples. The Holy Spirit had come to town. And God was speaking. God was moving. God was filling each believer with his Holy Spirit. Each believer with his Holy Spirit. And the disciples exploded. They couldn't contain themselves. Timidity, fear, and reticence no longer marked these men and women. <coughs> Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they all began to boldly shout the mighty works of God. What does that mean, the, the mighty works of God? And I'm thinking, they must have recounted the works of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. They must have retold the stories of the miracles. Can you imagine the testimonies going on? 120 people filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking the mighty works of God. Can you imagine a room full, full of stories? They must have told about the blind receiving their sight. They must have told about the sick being healed, the demon possessed being set free, and the dead brought back to life. They must have told the story of the empty tomb for, for Lazarus and, and the empty tomb for Jesus and the angels who appeared to them at the grave. They couldn't contain themselves. You need to know what God has done in, in us. 
You need to know what Jesus Christ has done to transform our lives and what he has done to bring his kingdom to this earth, to our world. And we testify to the power, to the grace, and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And then it got even more amazing. These simple, as it says in their text, these simple men of Galilee spoke in other languages as the Spirit Spirit gave them utterance, Luke tells us. People from all over the known world were represented in the crowd that day. You see, that was intentional on God's part. If you notice, Luke even says, as he lists through the, the list of nations that were represented and the areas and regions that were represented, he said there were even visitors from Rome there. And if you play out the book of Acts, as you read the book of Acts to the end, you realize Luke has in mind that the end of the gospel is to go to the center, to go to Rome. And so he's he's certain to put in this narrative right here, and there were visitors from Rome there. And they were speaking any number of languages. They all heard the gospel, the mighty works of God in their own tongue. In dialects, in languages, they heard it all. Some, some have said that this is the undoing of the curse of Babel, the, the curse of Babel that forced, that where God forced the world into multiple languages so that he would disrupt their unity and so that he could, he could preach the gospel to them in all their own languages. But now today, on the day of Pentecost, the language barrier was broken. And the, and the spirit and the power the, the power of the Holy Spirit was restored that day. This was it. It was the fulfillment of prophecy. It was the fulfillment of God's promise. God had sent his spirit to indwell in the lives of his people. Jesus had promised in, in chapter 1, Acts 1, verse 5, that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so it happened. The Spirit came in power and the disciples were identified with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. To be baptized, that's that's what it means to identify with. Jesus is now setting apart this people. Jesus, who was called the first fruits in his resurrection, is now bringing a great harvest together. And what we saw on that day was only the beginning of the harvest that would come when the Holy Spirit is unleashed through his people to the world. As Joel would say, the the Holy Spirit would be poured out in all flesh. The Spirit came in power. The disciples were identified with Jesus and the power of the Spirit. So so how do we bring this to this day? What do we do with this in our life today? I can't wait to continue our study in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. And continue to take apart Peter's message and come to the conclusion that he came to and that the people came to. But for now, what do we do with this first part of, of Acts chapter 2? You see, what, what happened here with the disciples was just the start of the explosion of the Spirit's work in the church in the world. Peter makes it clear at the end of his sermon that the gift of the Holy Spirit is available to all. Let me read at the end of his text. His sermon, chapter 2, verse 38. Read with me. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And listen to this. You will receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, it's for your children, 
and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You see, if you have confessed your sins and submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, you too have been baptized into the Holy Spirit. You too are now identified with the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit for God's purposes. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He speaks to you. He comforts you. He transforms your life. He points you to Jesus. And we've only just begun to learn to dig into this remarkable event. And the next time we gather, we'll look more into this, this lesson. Let me give you two or three things that I think we can take away. First of all, we need to commit to prayer and we need to commit to the Word of God. I never, ever get tired of saying that to you, to me. Ian e. Bounds says it like this. What the church needs today is not mere machinery or, or better machinery, not new organizations or, or more and novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through people. He does not come on machinery, but he comes on people. He does not anoint plans, but people, people of prayer. I wish I could have been part of that prayer meeting. I'm assuming that Peter quoted from the Joel passage from memory. Later, he'll, he'll, we'll look into this next week, but later he'll quote scripture about King David. With the word of God stored in their hearts like that, I am quite certain that, prayer, that their prayer meeting was laced with scripture. It was also likely filled with worship and praise for the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. They certainly came to him in all humility and awareness of their own sin and weakness. They certainly must have prayed for the world around them, for people to hear and to respond to the message of Jesus. And I ask myself today, as, we, as, as, as we're reminded of our need to commit to prayer and the word, are we coming to him with that kind of urgency and passion? Are we, in the power of the Spirit, boldly coming to the throne of God, imploring for more of Him, for His transforming power, for His kingdom to be established in the world around us? When we see the news today at our city literally on fire today, when we hear rumors of, of protests coming to our little town, do we pray with urgency? Do we pray that his kingdom would come among us and that his kingdom would be established in our communities, in our cities, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces? Do we pray with fervency? Do we have anything to pray for today? With the fear of a virus and the chaos of violence surrounding us, can we not boldly move, boldly pray for the spirit to move? This last week, I worked with the staff and the elders. I went to open up our building again. You'll hear more about that in the coming, coming days as well. And we realize that these are complicated issues that, that need the Holy Spirit to lead us and give us wisdom as we think about shepherding the church through these days. Just this week, a friend asked for prayer for a suicidal daughter. Just this week, the images of our Twin Cities on fire, literally on fire. 
overwhelmed by her circumstances. My own daughter went to the emergency room with terrible pains this week. My son's company announced laying off 12,000 people. Do we have things to pray about? Do we desperately need to lean on the peace, the comfort, the wisdom, and the leading of the Holy Spirit? I think so. The second thing I take away is that we have a need for obedience. We need to let the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed in our lives move us to action. The disciples followed the command of Jesus to wait. And when they obeyed, when they did as Jesus told them to do, God moved. When the Spirit came upon them, they immediately went out in the, into the streets to proclaim the mighty works of God. You see, when the Spirit calls you, he will call you to obey. To walk in the fullness of the power of the Spirit, we need to follow his leading. Commit ourselves to word and prayer. Commit ourselves to obedience. The third thing is that we need to wait. Hudson Taylor said it like this. Since the days of Pentecost, has the whole church ever put aside every other work and waited upon him for 10 days? That the Spirit's power might be manifested? We give too much attention to method and machinery and resources and too little to the source of power. You see, our, our natural inclination is to busy ourselves, to do something, to take action, to make a program, to, make a, to, to formulate some ministry. But sometimes, sometimes, the Spirit is telling us to simply wait on Him. Psalm 46.10 is a familiar passage. It's, and it says this, Be still and know that I am God. Can we put our arms at our sides? And can we wait for God to move? Following the, the habit or the policy of the Evangelical Free Church National Office, here in our local church, we, we give our staff paid time off each month to retreat and to seek the Lord. Yet, I'm surprised at myself I'm surprised at us that we have to constantly remind ourselves to take the time. That includes me. We're too busy. Too many important things to do. But the Spirit calls. Come and abide with Jesus. Listen for the still, small voice. Quiet your hearts. Wait till I move. And the final thing I see from this passage is that they declared the mighty works of God. When the Holy Spirit comes to town, his role is to point to Jesus, to illuminate his word, and to move the message out into the whole world, and as Joel would say, on all flesh. In the story of Pentecost, Luke takes great pains to profile the audience and where they were from. If you were to draw out on a map of that day, uh, all the places that Luke mentions, these were from Egypt, from Cyrene, from, um, from, where, from, from the various regions and cities and, and states. If you were to, to, to map that out on a map of that day, you would, know, you would see that they came from every known part of the world for that day of Pentecost. 
You see, God's purpose, and it's made clear in this passage, God's purpose is for all flesh to come to know him. God's purpose is for his gospel message to go out, not just in our towns, but to the whole world. God's purpose is that everyone would have an opportunity to respond to Christ. You see, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your testimony, along with God's word, is your mission. Shout it. Tell it. Take it and fill the earth with it. You and I have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not only does he give us comfort and assurance to live in the chaos of our world, but he leads us in courage. He leads us in confidence. He leads us in victory as we walk in Christ. Let me pray and we'll close with a benediction. Lord Jesus, as, as always, when we come to your truth and when, when a truth is laid open for us and we see the amazing depth and effects of your truth, your word, and we realize today, we realize the gift that you have given to us in your Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, actually lives in our hearts and dwells in us, speaks to us, and is, is the, the bridge, the pipeline between, between your heart and our heart. That's an amazing gift. And we praise you for it today. Lord Jesus, we, we regret and we repent of the times that we have not seen the fullness of this truth, that we've not walked in the fullness of your spirit when we have, when we have grieved your Holy Spirit, when we have saddened your Holy Spirit, when we have simply rejected the leading of your Holy Spirit. We repent. And Lord, today we lay ourselves, in light of this great truth, we lay ourselves before you and we thank you for us being baptized into your spirit to be identified with the power of your spirit. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would, that you would lead us in such a way. We, we give you permission. We open our hearts before you. We yield our lives to you, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would have free reign in our lives. That you would not only bring transformation to our lives, but you would make us obedient to share this gospel, this message with the world around us, that as, as we have been called, we would be reconcilers in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be those who bring peace to our world in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be those who proclaim your good news to others who have not heard in the power of the Spirit. Lord, for us here at Valley Free and to all those who are listening, may your Holy Spirit have free reign. May we walk in his power, his truth, and Lord, may we see him unleashed on the world around us. Use us. Transform us by the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray on this day of Pentecost. Amen. Romans 15 verse 13 offers our benediction for the day. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. On this day of Pentecost, on your way rejoicing.